Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Gover. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. The messages started rolling in late last night, and they did not stop today. People just kept saying the goats would not let up. Emergency pod, emergency pod, emergency <laughs> pod. So I was over here thinking, wow, these people cannot wait to hear the updates on the rental car shortage that swept the nation. <laughs> they need to know, have I landed safely in Milwaukee? Will I be able to be there in game six? How does this story end? But it turns out, Andrew, I think they might have had more pressing issues on their mind. Mm. Namely, arguably the greatest game of Kevin Durant's life. Chris Paul's entry into the NBA's health and safety protocols as the Phoenix Suns are preparing for the Western Conference Finals. Um, LeBron James's broadside tweet attack against the NBA league office for, uh, you know, chasing the money and, uh, you know, putting player health and, and safety at risk this year with the condensed schedule. Yep. On top of that, you had Kawhi Leonard with rumors of a possible ACL injury, which would be cataclysmic to the LA Clippers. On top of that... All the organizations that really wanted to fire their coaches but didn't want to do it in the light of day, they let those <laughs> press releases fly. <laughs> Scott Brooks is out. Stan Van Gundy is out. New coaching searches begin in Washington and New Orleans. And on top of that, the weirdest power struggle that you and I have ever tried to break down in Dallas uh, came to a head with Donnie Nelson out after more than two decades with the Dallas Mavericks. So... I don't know where you want to start. Can I tell you where I want to start? Please. The rental car situation, because I've got some updates. <laughs> Great. Um, just very briefly, we heard from a number of people in the rental car industry. What happened was a lot of these companies were struggling even before the pandemic. The pandemic hits, they panicked, and they sold off their fleets, right? Because they didn't want these empty cars just like sitting there and costing them money. Yep. Um, obviously, they're not in a situation to go and like buy all those cars back or, or buy new ones. There was probably some layoffs involved with the companies. So there is a legit car shortage. And let me tell you, Last night at 2 a.m., the Wi-Fi went off in my hotel in Brooklyn. It just stopped working. And so I went down to the front desk to kind of politely ask, hey, can you find the tech dork wherever he is and have him reboot this thing because I need to get online and file this KD uh, masterpiece story. Mm -hmm. And there was a scout for another one of the uh, conference finalist teams, or, or I should say conference semifinalist teams, yep. who was trying to break down tape of uh, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, that incredible game five that we had just watched. And he was absolutely losing his mind. Like, I think I'm addicted to Wi-Fi. This guy was having a full-fledged meltdown <laughs> on the hotel staff. And so I thought like, and again, it's the middle of the night in Brooklyn. Like, where are you even going to go to like find another Wi-Fi source, right? Yeah. So I stepped in, Andrew, and I thought like, I'm going to be a good Samaritan here because this guy's legitimately more panicked than I am, and I'm pretty panicked because I need my Wi-Fi, right? So I started small talk, chatting with him, just trying to like give the uh, front desk uh, guy a little room to breathe and solve the situation. Mm -hmm. Turns out this guy was also trying to travel to Milwaukee today, right? And also facing the rental car shortage. So do you know what he did, Andrew? I kid you not. He flew to Michigan, got a car in Michigan, drove an hour and a half across Michigan, 
took a ferry across Lake Michigan so that he could get himself to Milwaukee. This is like planes, trains, and automobiles just to see these playoffs, man. It's absolutely insane. But needless to say, I made it to Milwaukee. I'm in a very, very good mood, in part because I'm just jacked up on all the adrenaline of everything that's been happening around the league. Oh, yeah. And let me let me tell you one quick correction. On the last episode, I called myself the king of Cream City because of my amazing hotel room. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you might remember this. Guess what? What? I, w- I was only the prince of Cream City. Now I am the king of Cream City because I got an even better hotel room, Andrew. <laughs> this thing... I've got a four-person dinner table plus a love seat separated into like two or three rooms, gigantic bathroom. I do have the walk-in closet this time. So, you know, Giannis Inc., I mean, this is, uh, here's here's your awkward transition. Giannis Inc. has really got to bring the whole board together, right? They've, we've got to have a big emergency meeting. You've got the space for it. Yeah. Should I fly out to Milwaukee? Well, you're not in Yannisink anymore, but you know, but oh you're not me. in Yannisink anymore. <laughs> Yannisink belongs to me these days. I can't Get believe it. This is the first time in GOAT history that we have had a real live emergency pod. And you just started this podcast with five minutes of your travel adventures. You're now best friends with some advanced scout for the Hawks or Sixers, which I love. Um, all of it's great. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Can I tell you how, how I experienced the day? Was it on a ferry across Lake Michigan? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, so KD had the game of his life. We're about to talk about that. Uh, things got very toxic on Twitter in the aftermath of that game. I am a Giannis fan. I was rooting for Giannis throughout that KD performance and then afterward, it's like the entire internet starts cyberbullying Giannis. And I was just fed up, to be honest with you. Like, I went to sleep last night. I was looking at a, a tweet of Bradley Beal and CJ McCollum snickering about Giannis not guarding KD. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you fucking guys haven't guarded anyone <laughs> in years and you're lecturing Giannis, and not even lecturing Giannis, just telling your little jokes, fucking no-bag no. Twitter. I was no. getting very upset, and I decided to give myself a break from the internet on Wednesday. I had a lot oh, of work to do, boy. and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna take 24 hours away from Twitter, do my own thing. So it wasn't until 11.15 in the morning that I got a text message from a friend about all of the crazy shit that was happening around the league on Wednesday and then had to catch myself up. I still think I've probably missed some things. So we can talk Nets Bucks, but then from there, I want you to just sort of walk me through what's going on around the league and we can react to it uh, item by item, let's say. That sounds great. And I do just want to point out, Andrew, uh, the GOATs always have our back. Not only were they weighing in on all of these stories in real time to kind of make sure we had like the latest and greatest takes, right? And I appreciate everyone who does that Mm -hmm. um, at that greatest of all talk at gmail.com email address. But I also got multiple offers of people to drive me from Chicago to Milwaukee (laughs) for this game. No, this is no BS. These were serious offers like, I live in Chicago. I will make this happen for you. Don't worry about it. And you and I always try to rep hard for the GOATs, but the GOATs always rep harder for us. Because I was sitting there thinking like, if you flew to LA 
and you wanted to go to San Diego and just to like for a, a work thing, like, you know, one of your legal conventions. Sure. And you wanted me to like drive you there, drop you off and then go home. Like I might do that, but I would probably try to charge you like not gas money. <laughs> like I would, you know, it'd be hundreds of dollars. And so the fact that these people were so willing to just open their cars and their hearts to me was amazing. So I wanted That's to thank awesome. them as well. But um, in terms of Katie versus Giannis, Am I mistaken or did you tweet out during the game who's the best player on the oh, court right now? And boy, then maybe oh did you have a did you have a pump fake or second thoughts and then delete that tweet? Because I went back and I never interact with you on social media. It's a complete waste of time. If you argue with fools, people can't tell who is uh-huh. who. That's a, that's a Jay-Z maxim. But I was gonna manually retweet that one and just put Kevin. <laughs> But you deleted it, so I didn't know what to do. Is did explain to me what happened as you were watching that game five? Oh, I'm so upset that you saw it. So first of all, I was talking with another member of Giannis Inc., another member of Bucks Mafia, Ben Thompson, throughout the second quarter. Obviously, the Bucks are up big. And he and I are just sort of like egging each other on, talking about how smart Giannis is playing, how great the Bucks look, how the series is over. A lot of shit that we frankly should not have been saying. Both of us had a, should have had more respect for Kevin Durant, more respect for like the sport of basketball and how crazy things can get. And in any event, I got carried away. I tweeted out who's the best player on the floor, like three or four question marks. And um, minutes later, I realized it was just bad karma to send that tweet. And uh, I deleted it almost instantly. But uh, a couple eagle-eyed listeners saw it, and I guess you saw it. And yeah, I mean, maybe I am part of the problem in Milwaukee. I think a lot of blame to go around with the Bucks right now, but I certainly didn't help matters in Game 5. Yeah, I mean, look, it was pretty tough. Humbling, humbling two hours for the Schmedium list when you went from that, ran away from the take, and then Giannis after Giannis the game himself, just yeah. flat out says, Katie is the best player in the world. We've got to guard him as a team. Like, I'll try to help if I can. But, I mean, it, Giannis laid it on thick. And I, I was actually curious, you know, this is like a, a live Giannis Inc. boardroom meeting. How do we feel about that wording and that uh, that marketing approach? Not as good as KD doesn't have a great ring to it in terms of our official slogan, especially if we're the ones saying it. Mm. Um, and But at the same time, it's honest. Like, I, I think that he feels that way. I think that that's sort of how to answer your question on Twitter. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> was the answer. Um <laughs> And that second half was just absolutely insane by Kevin Durant. I can understand why that would be really demoralizing for Giannis to live through and to kind of understand like the way that Kevin beat him yeah. isn't really something that he's ever going to be able to do in that same way, right? Like Giannis could score 49 points in a playoff game, have an incredible triple-double. There's no question. But with some of the shot-making, even with some of the passes and the playmaking, which I was really doubting heading into Game 5, whether KD was going to be able to add that element – I'm just not sure Giannis could have done it the same way. And so did you like the, you know, the the radical transparency from Giannis just ceding the throne to Kevin Durant? Do you um, wish he was back into that mode like he was last year where it was like, you know, crowning himself and kind of shoving it in LeBron's face a little bit, going back and forth uh, like they did last season? Was there a middle ground where you could maybe just be like generically respectful without, uh, you know, going too far? I mean, what do you think? Well... 
the three players Giannis has the most respect for and who he's been most effusive in praising uh, are Steph and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. And so I respect that because that's exactly how I feel when I look across the field of superstars. Um, I do not like him saying that midway through the series. And I, I, I understand that he's being honest. I understand it's who he is. I, and because I, he's not buttering Katie up. It's not like a situation where he's like, yeah, I'm going to do a LeBron and like try to Jedi mind trick him into getting overconfident. Because first of all, Katie doesn't care. And second of all, that's just not how Giannis rolls. He doesn't play these games. Yeah, well, and it's it reminded me of what DeMar DeRozan said about LeBron Ooh. at the end of that Cavs series. Ooh, and it's just... That's a, that's a painful comp, Andrew. Giannis Inc. doesn't like it, but we have to acknowledge, I think that's you're onto something. Yeah, well, and he has to think of himself as... As someone who's on KD's level, even if the results don't necessarily bear that out, they certainly didn't in the second half of game five. Um, but, in, you know, Giannis played perfectly fine. I was happy with what he brought to the table in that game. And I think that, like, game five was more about KD than, like, the Bucks just completely falling apart. I think the Bucks had flaws and were vulnerable. And then KD was so amazing that he exploited every single flaw down the stretch and just hit a bunch of ridiculous shots. I mean, with that game, like, I was trying to think of comps. Um, I don't want to, like, Jordan is sort of in its own category. At Jordan's performances, like, there's just nothing like it. But outside of Jordan... There's LeBron in game six and that Kevin Durant game are are probably on their own as far as like the greatest single individual performances I've ever seen. I, I said that about Lillard dropping 55 like two weeks ago. I said that's one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. But like that's not in the same category as what we saw from Kevin Durant last night. And um I don't know. Well, Did the, you feel the, the shared same way? quality. Well, the shared quality is how easy he made it look with some of those shots, right? I mean, just the swishes, the high degree of difficulty shots that he's just banging in people's faces, the demoralizing aspect for the opponents. You know, the slump shoulders when they go in, the kind of looking around and saying like, "What are we supposed to do?" I mean. Giannis's post-game answer about like how are we going to defend Kevin Durant he like asked the athletic well do you have any ideas you know and then it turned into like a five minute long monologue from Giannis about here's all the things they tried and here's what they could try mm -hmm. I mean that that's a, a real dissection you know I mean Katie's like split you open and, and turned you inside out when you're going down that route it was a religious experience for me, man. It had me going back some weird places. So this is one thing I remember. Before I was even at Blazer's Edge, uh, when I first started draft Kevin Durant, Nike reached out and they were like, do you want to participate in this group interview with Kevin Durant? And like at that point, I didn't have my name on the site. They just like blindly emailed me. And I think in hindsight, they were just trying to get KD reps with the media before it actually mattered, like taking questions, giving answers <laughs> and, and all that stuff. Like, I really think that's what it was because it was like, a, it wasn't for really like public consumption or anything. It wasn't like, you know, I was going to have the video of it to put anywhere or whatever. So of course I was like, yes, I rushed home. I mean, I'm like 24 or 25, no journalism experience whatsoever. I'm like, you know, using PTO to conduct this like three minute interview with Kevin Durant, right? Mm -hmm. And my big heavy hitting lead question was why do you button the top button on your polo shirt? Because he always did that at that stage of his <laughs> life. And he just started cracking up when I asked that question. 
And he was just like, I just think it looks cool was basically the gist of his answer. And at this point, he's like 18 years old. You know what I mean? So he looked so much younger than he looks now. He's got the balding thing going on. And just to know that like that moment happened in like 2007 and you fast forward 14 years and he is turning in this Jordan-esque performance in front of 20,000 hipsters, many of whom are wearing his jersey and were probably not fans of the Nets two and a half years ago. You've got a white guy with a guitar and a cowboy hat doing countrified cover band songs of like DMX and Notorious B.I.G. at halftime with the dance team like forced to dance along in this just very weird Brooklyn environment. And this is the stage that Kevin Durant has decided to just absolutely rip out an opponent's heart like right in front of them. Yeah. Look, a lot was going on. And then on top of all of that, Harden almost blew it. <laughs> I mean, that was the craziest part with some of those turnovers and the missed shots. Like, KD at times was playing four versus six because Harden was in such a bad spot, I think, with his hamstring or just, you know, cold or or wasn't right. I will never forget that game. One of the most memorable playoff games I have ever covered. And the double clutch shot over Middleton where he kind of does the Mm ooh-wee, you know, uh, reaction afterwards. Like, he just had something that was a little bit too spicy or maybe he just told a joke that landed a little bit too hard. Um I loved it. You know, he finally actually impressed himself with something he did on the court. You hardly ever see that from KD. He's gotten to this place where he's just like not very expressive unless he's yelling at the officials. And here he was actually enjoying himself for once. And then as soon as he gets to the post-game interview, he's right back into the thing of like, oh, I don't rank my games. I've had a lot of fun on the court in my life, you know, whatever. I mean, completely downplaying and dodging every question just to be difficult. Yeah. But uh, we know he liked it, Andrew. We know he enjoyed himself there in that fourth quarter. I mean, it was just so cool across the board. And he was making a lot of shots that we know Kevin Durant can hit. But he was also taking like pull-up threes that the Nets really, really needed and just draining everything. And he hit a couple shots where as much as people want to talk about Milwaukee's defense and different schemes they could have thrown at him, he hit a couple threes in the fourth quarter that ended up winning the game, and I don't care who Milwaukee had guarding him, there was nothing the Bucs were going to do because that's just who Kevin Durant is. That's part of his game is he can hit those shots that are impossible to guard. And frankly, one of the weirdest things about his career is that over the last seven or eight years, he hasn't been in situations where he's the only guy. So we have to see him take those shots over and over again and really sort of like, max out what he can do offensively and watching him do it in game five was so much better than any of us could have imagined and um yeah i'm with you i mean i was starting to get nostalgic myself i was thinking back going back to berry farms well not berry farms although yeah i did i mean i went to his pickup games and everything he was like one or two years into the league um kd has been awesome for a really long time But I was thinking back to the conversation we had after his injury in game five of the finals a few years ago, which is probably the most depressing podcast you and I have ever recorded. Bob Myers had just given that teary-eyed press conference, and it was just like the weight of the moment was a lot for everyone to process. 
And then we're sitting there. Oh, yeah. I came on. I was like, this is a basketball tragedy. <laughs> but And I agreed with you. And a lot of people the following day, not a lot of people, but a few people were like, wow, like you guys really laid it on thick. It's really not that big of a deal. The reason I found it so depressing oh, it is, was. is that I thought that Kevin Durant wasn't going to be the same player coming out of that injury. And then I thought about it and I was like, when you look at his prime, this is one of the coolest basketball players I've ever witnessed. I mean, he's just an amazing scorer to watch and just aesthetically is as impressive as, again, like anyone I've seen in my entire life. That's who Kevin Durant is. And then I thought about it and it's like the career just felt a little underwhelming and a little empty. And it may still end up feeling that way. Like the Nets could go lose the next two games and we could look back at this and be like, wow, that was cool. But it was just a, it, like it's it's frustrating that that no. performance in game five doesn't mean more than it did. Like like if, if they well, don't but win. Your, your, your point is, though, your point is you thought it was gone forever and game five proved to you that it wasn't. I mean, this doesn't seal anything, you know, from like doesn't give him a title. It doesn't, you know, lift him closer to LeBron or anything like this, but it does get us back to what we were thinking before that injury when he's hanging 50 on the Clippers just so easily. I mean, that was the easy money in that series in 2019. <laughs> yeah. and, well, and we're just wondering, like, can he get back to that point, right? Because, you know, he was still ascending, right? And he was still getting to that point where he was finally going to get the recognition as the best player in basketball. And I think that's what you saw really on, on both fronts. Uh, not only did it, you know, just conjure back those memories of – he can do what he wants against who he wants whenever he wants. He can still do it after the injury, but he's also going to get the attention and the love that he didn't really get. I mean, it came in from everywhere. You saw Allen Iverson, Magic Johnson, LeBron James all weighing in. You've got Giannis calling him the best player in the world. Jeff Green, okay, maybe he's not quite in the same stature as some of those other names I just mentioned, calling him the best player of the world. Yep. Steve Nash, I mean, he, he feels half the time he feels like he's speechless. He can't find the right words to say whatever he wants to say. Uh, but he was pretty speechless after that performance. And, um, you know, look, KD has gotten an awful lot of hate to me undeserved and not nearly enough appreciation for what he does do. Mm -hmm. And that was a celebration for KD last night, whether or not he wanted to like participate in it after the fact, which he didn't, at least he got it. And that wasn't guaranteed. I was right there with you. Like, um, you know, even this week I was saying, like, this is a huge burden. Is he going to be able to sure. go out there and play all 48 minutes, function as a point forward, make the key passes in certain moments against a really good Bucks defense that's been playing hard? Is he going to be able to free himself from that oak tree, uh, P.J. Tucker, and, and get some looks? I mean, all these things were fair to ask, and, you know, these were fair doubts, and he did just shove it in everybody's face, and that was always the best version of KD when – he gets that little sneer on his face, right? Mm -hmm. He gets himself out of that mentality of just like hanging out on the wing and just, you know, scoring when he wants to. And he really gets into like, you know, kill mode. And I wish he was there all the time. And a lot of people have said, imagine if he had a little bit more Kobe to him. Imagine if he had a little bit more Mike to him. Well, he's had that, you know, it's that Rucker part KD, like Jamal Crawford, uh, you know, said on Twitter. And he brought it out 
exactly when they needed it. And he went all 48, which is wild. Totally. Well, and and the one year where Westbrook missed half the season, KD went ballistic and won MVP, and it was the best season of his career. So we always knew he had this in him. We just haven't seen him in big spots have to be as great as he was in game five. And uh, the reaction that you're talking about where there's just sort of like widespread awe and appreciation. That's what I wanted for him. And I wasn't sure he was ever going to get it after the injury in Golden State. And um, it was a cool moment, undoubtedly, in Game 5. And it wouldn't have been the same if the rest of the Nets had been healthy and he had had like 40 in a 20-point blowout. Like, given the situation, he needed to be unbelievable. I'll read this comment from... uh, a listener of ours, Greg, at Books Not Wooks on Twitter, he said, the lamest thing about super teams is that they rob us of the kind of performances we're getting from KD tonight. No margin for error. Need every bit of his best. Those kinds of games. I'm glad we got to at least experience this one. That's how I felt about it. And um, and KD's going to have to be every bit is good at some point either in game six or game seven in order to carry brooklyn because you're right harden did not look good we came so so close to the perfect outcome for andrew sharp where kd plays 48 drops 50 or 55 Giannis gets the win and harden is like the obvious scapegoat I don't think he's going to be that bad in game six or game seven, but KD's still going to have to be amazing to make this work for Brooklyn. No, I think it's a it's a good lesson for you. I mean, you tempted the basketball gods by coming on that podcast uh, two days ago talking about how it's a horrible week for all your enemies. <laughs> and when you look at what happened, I mean, KD gets it over Giannis. Giannis yep. has to take the L in the postgame press conference. Chris Paul... Um, the savior of your Phoenix Suns is now out indefinitely. And then Kawhi Leonard goes down, the guy you've been standing for harder than anybody this oh. postseason. You're a new favorite player. So that's a you know one, two, three punch to the gut. Earlier, you used this phrase widespread awe about Kevin Durant. And I, there was one thing also that happened in that game that generated, I would say, an equal amount or maybe even a greater amount of widespread awe. And that was me somehow landing on the Jeff Green game (laughs) in our previous podcast. Now, just to reset for anybody who missed it, um, Andrew started just basically using all of my phrases, catchphrases, and mantras in trying to hype up Giannis and get him ready um, and dissect his game and everything else. And I freaked out because I thought, you know, have I been cloned? This person is just using all my own material back at me. So I put myself into your situation. It was a whole role reversal. And I tried to come up with the wackiest, goofiest thing that I could think of. And I said, well, watch Jeff Green go out there and hit nine threes. Andrew, Jeff Green out of nowhere, (laughs) playing horribly in game four, comes out in game five and hits seven threes. We got I got more responses to that take than I think any take I've had besides maybe Luka versus Kawhi in the last two years. And the key question was this, Andrew. People wanted to know, do I get credit for that take because I was being a better version of you than you are? Or do you get credit for that take because your wacky philosophy carried the day, right? Yeah. Like you're outside the box thinking, who actually gets credit for the Jeff Green take? And let me just say this. I mean, 
I probably play it pretty close to the vest, pretty, you know, textbook a lot of the times in some of my opinions. But now I understand why you're such an electron bouncing around <laughs> on these weirdo missions rather than just like staying at home in the nucleus. Because when the clock is right, uh, you know, twice a day, when uh-huh. you nail that time, boy, it feels good. Boy, you savor it. Boy, all of a sudden you start buying Phoenix Suns t-shirts for your friends and, and just loving life. So I get it now. I understand, um, you know, you, you're willing to take nine L's for that one no, really no, sweet no, W. No, no, Here's what I'm doing, okay? It's not an electron just bouncing around or whatever. I'm engaged in take arbitrage, okay? So... When one guy's stock gets a little too high, I start shorting that stock. And when people start underrating different asset classes, whether it be Giannis, whether it be the Phoenix Suns, I'm right there to capitalize. Now, as for your Jeff Green take, I think what happened, and a a listener pointed this out. Well, if you're going to use financial terms, this was like me short selling the housing market before the crash (laughs) because Jeff Green had no stock value when I called that. Well, uh, a listener pointed out that now Andrew Sharp is so hot that even when Ben is impersonating him, he accidentally gets Mm. it right. And that's what happened with the Jeff Green take. Now, I hesitate to embrace that interpretation because my hubris uh, led me astray this week. And obviously, the Suns future is up in the air. Kawhi is sidelined indefinitely. Who knows what's going to happen with Giannis? But I'm just saying that that interpretation is out there. Listeners can make of it what they will. Um well, what- we also, if we're going to go off listeners, listeners also said, Ben, why don't you just, you know, do a podcast with your voice and Andrew's voice, do the entire <laughs> do show, both. arguing yeah. both sides. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we should do that during the offseason. Andrew, what do you think? Who knows? Anything is possible, but we're not at the offseason yet. Um, do you have any final thoughts on Nets Bucks before we run down the list of like ridiculous stories that hit the NBA on Wednesday? No, my only take uh, to finish it off would be we've seen three massive momentum swings already in this series, right? Brooklyn goes up, Milwaukee punches back, Brooklyn goes back up. The lesson should be prepare for momentum swings, you know? Don't yeah. ride off the bucks. I think that your point was it was a lot and mostly about KD, but it was also uh, about the bucks. I do think that was the... The subheadline of the story was some real strange stuff going on down the stretch, you know, with their offense, stuff that absolutely could get Coach Bud fired, right, if they do drop game six. But also, they were up big. They were very confident. They were cruising in that game. And it took basically the best playoff performance of Kevin Durant's life to put them down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, doing that on the road is harder than doing it at home. Um, Harden did look more comfortable in the second half and he was more helpful in the second half than he was in the first half, but he also played 46 minutes and they're running up these uh, minute totals on their star players. Fatigue is going to be a factor more so for Brooklyn in game six uh, than for uh, Milwaukee. And so I don't think the Bucks are done. I'm not sure people were necessarily writing them off, but they were trying to dance on Giannis's grave, which I didn't really uh, approve of, obviously. I thought that was uh, uncalled for and a little bit too harsh. Um, so I guess, you know, my, my last takeaway is I cannot wait for game six. I'm glad I got here, Andrew. I'm glad I found this app that can drive me from Chicago to Milwaukee because I'm just over here 
bouncing in my chair ready for tip off tomorrow night. Yeah. And the Bucks, um, I am really, really tired of watching the Bucks and rooting for them to win these games because God, they are frustrating in about a dozen different ways. And yet, even with all that like dysfunction baked into the equation for them, and I mean, even if they win this series, they could win the title. Like I it's time for a change in Milwaukee. And I don't know whether the Milwaukee ownership would make a change and, and fire Bud if they won a title, but... Wait, so you want them to do it when they hand him the trophy and then they just give him no, a slip? No, let him celebrate and be like, Coach, you took us to this point. We could not have done this without you. Had we kept Jason Kidd for the last four or five years, we would not be here. And we are always going to be grateful for everything you've done for this organization but it is time to put Giannis in a sensible offense, teach him that he's a center, not a small forward, and embrace principles that are going to make us even better going forward. We're not going to be able to build a dynasty around Coach Budenholzer. And uh, I, again, I do not have faith in the Bucks ownership group to make that decision, but it's what I would do, and it's how I feel watching this series. Like, even if the Bucks win, they're just... It, 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 it would be a ball lying situation. The inverse of the ball don't lie uh, rule. I, I think the Bucks winning here is almost like basketball injustice, but I'll be rooting for them going forward. Uh, that's just sort of a thought that popped into my head. It's like, man, when you do this many things wrong as a basketball team, you don't deserve to win, but I think the Bucks still can. So we'll are see. You sending, are you sending Coach Bud off with a retired jersey banner or with a statue or with maybe a really nice commission painting in the arena? If he gets you the first title since 1971, the first title in 50 years for your franchise, and you immediately fire him, there better be a nice parting <laughs> gift. So what do you have in mind there? Like, how big would you be willing to go? Well, look, you're in Milwaukee. Can you please go see the Fonzie statue? Go downtown, take a picture on Instagram next to the Fonz. Do that for me. And you know what? If the Bucks win the title, they can fire Mike Budenholzer and give him a statue right next to the Fonz. So Milwaukee will always remember what he did for that city, what he did for Giannis. And I think that would be a really classy way to do it. I, it, it there's no ill will. I do honestly, like sincerely think Bud has been really great for the Bucks in general. It's just that over the last two years, we've started to see some flaws exposed. Um, and it's not all on him. It's the roster too. It's like everyone's saying, oh, they gotta take advantage of James Harden. I don't know how many guys on that roster are good enough in isolation to really punish James Harden the way people think the Bucks should be doing. Yeah, give it to Pat Connaughton. He'll take him one-on-one. <laughs> yeah, hey, like, real, Drew, real quick, too. though. I don't know. Real quick. So, Bud and the Fonz, that sounds like two of LeBron James's teammates in Space Jam 2. That's what that sounds <laughs> like. Um, what is the Fonz, though? Is this like a Grantland reference thing, or what's the Fonz? Oh, it's, I don't even know if it's a Grantland reference. It's honestly more of a Sports Illustrated reference. Oh. Uh, it's a, a throwback to Happy Days, which was on in, I think, the 70s. Could have been the 80s 
we're dating ourselves here. We're actually too young to be making Happy Days references. So but, is this a television show or a movie? What is that? Uh, it's a sitcom. It was one of the f- most popular sitcoms in American history. Come on, man. Go study up on Milwaukee. Go see the Fonz <laughs> and then come talk to me. For now- Wait. So is it sort of like Cheers, but Midwest or what is it? Yeah, it it was definitely like a Cheers-esque show. I think it was sort of like the big show before Cheers hit the scene and then Woody Harrelson got the Fonz out the paint. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. The one statue I saw in Milwaukee was for a little guy named Abraham Lincoln. He was tall enough to get people out of the paint. (laughs) He got the entire Confederacy out of the paint, if you want to start using these phrases. Do we count the top hat? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Why not? Official measurements. Um, <laughs> you know, Lincoln didn't have very good acreage, though. I mean, you yeah. go back and look at that guy. I mean, his, his chest was concave, practically. Um, anyway, I don't think we're going to be drafting him in the second round, so it's fine. We can probably stop breaking it down. I'm just saying I focus on the statues that I care about, real people, not totally. these mythical characters from your uh, – pop culture reality based that's what you're about okay so speaking of reality a lot of things got crazy on wednesday um walk me through it i'm gonna let you choose the order and we'll just do quick hitting reactions to the the various news that hit the league today so I think the next place to go would be the Chris Paul situation because, you know, in the bubble, nobody tested positive. It was the question everybody wanted to ask before the bubble. Like, well, how is the NBA going to handle it if a star tests positive uh, and has to sit out during a playoff series? It's going to change everything. And it never happened in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And even more importantly, I don't I mean, it kind of has been under the radar. There has been no issues prior to Chris Paul from a COVID standpoint during these playoffs. And in the two weeks previous where the NBA is testing all these guys and releasing the results, there had been zero positive tests. So not even some guy on the end of the bench is testing positive. And so that tells you that the vaccination stuff is working, that in general, uh, the pandemic is in a much better place than it was back in January and February when there was all these postponed games and all these guys sitting out. It has been a very smooth ride from that standpoint for the NBA. There's been injury issues, but not COVID protocol issues. And so now we've got a situation in Chris Paul where we don't know all the information. We know he's in the protocols. We know um, he's out indefinitely. We know that they're going to give us an update this weekend. I think it's Saturday or or possibly Sunday when they're going to give us the update. And we think, according to some reports, that he uh, was vaccinated. And it's possible to test positive and, and get COVID after you've been vaccinated Although the whole idea is that you stay out of the hospital and you don't have the worst symptoms right. if that's the case. And and you, you may be asymptomatic like a number of players were even before they had the vaccine. So when you're doing this timeline calculation, we don't know what indefinitely means. Now, if he had tested positive and no vaccine, that could be up to 14 days. Even with the Suns getting this rest period and the, um, the Clippers Jazz uh, series playing out, that would potentially wipe him out for the entire Western Conference Finals, and if not the whole thing, most of it, right? But if you go back to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons during the All-Star Week, they were basically sidelined for a week, maybe eight days, uh, because they came into contact with someone they didn't actually get it themselves, right? And so there's been some variability, and there's also been some shortening going on where if you have been vaccinated, uh, you know, potentially the the time that you've got to be out because of the protocols is shorter, but we just don't know what it could be. I mean, is it anywhere between five and 14 days now? Is it going to wind up at seven? How, mm-hmm. and is, is the NBA going to sort of 
come up with loopholes because, you know, Chris Paul is one of the five best players left in these playoffs and one of the biggest stars and America's new hero, as we talked about on the last episode, everybody rallying to Chris Paul's defense for the first time in his career. So I think long story short, awful timing for him, terrible luck for a Suns team that's had such great health all year long. Um, but also it might not be catastrophic depending on how the protocol situation plays out. I mean, there's a scenario here where if Jazz Clippers go seven, um, you know, they play that game on Sunday. So, you know, he's got almost a week in the protocols before Phoenix even has to play game one. Yeah. And then maybe he's only missing a game or two. And uh, that could be enough to swing the series, but it also, uh, you know, might not. So that's where we're at. I mean, you're the guy who's got more... <laughs> juice on the Suns than anyone else, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of uh, relying on their success or failure. Was this a heartbreaking development, shocking development? Are you just saying, hey, it's not going to wind up being that big of a deal? Where are you? Well, honestly, it it's tricky because I processed it like midway through the day on Wednesday when there were eight other things happening. So had this been the only story to hit on Wednesday, I might have been more dramatic about the way I sort of contextualized it. But honestly, like you laid it out. First of all, we don't know. Second of all, uh, I'm not like that stressed about the Suns if they have to play one or two games without Chris Paul. I think it's a, a fun opportunity for Devin Booker, who has been like, playing his ass off in all of these games. And no matter how well Devin Booker plays, the whole world is like, can you believe Chris Paul putting this Phoenix team on his back? Is, is there a better story than this in sports? And it's like Devin Booker's got like 35 on 60% shooting and whatever. So I, I welcome the opportunity for our guy Book and then beyond that, I think a lot of it turns on whether he was vaccinated, because if he was vaccinated, then theoretically, whatever COVID he's dealing with shouldn't be that bad. So there shouldn't be like short term decline in, in his health, like by the time he comes back. Um, but that's all just like total speculation. I'm not a doctor and nobody really has any idea what's going on with Chris Paul right now which is like the big story here because that's a uh, a major X factor as we try to forecast the next uh, month or so in the NBA. For sure. I mean, it also sets up Phoenix with really kind of no pressure. If he's out for two games, right, and they and they kind of know internally, hey, he'll be able to get back by game three. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if, if Utah winds up advancing because Kawhi Leonard's out, so those games are on the road anyways. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it is like, hey, Devin, go out there and try to score 40 or 50, see what happens, you know? Like, don't don't sweat it. Well, and, and they also got really good minutes from campaign stepping in for Chris Paul when his shoulder was kind of screwed up in the first round against the, the Lakers. So I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do think the Phoenix Suns are a lot uh, more beatable oh, yeah. when they don't have him. And all of their success has been driven by that awesome five-man group. And I would say if you took out any one of those five guys, it would meaningfully change how successful it, they are as a, a team. It's a lot like the Heat last year where one of the things that's awesome about this team is that each of the guys in the starting five are really, really important in different ways. And um, that's certainly true of Chris Paul. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a huge factor. I think it's a... A much bigger story if he was infected and wasn't vaccinated, but that's another aspect of the story that's just like 
totally unclear right now. So um, we'll see. And I, I, I wonder how much we'll even learn as like more news trickles out this weekend. I don't know. I mean, teams are going to play this really close to the vest. But I do oh, hope yeah. that well, we see Chris Paul. No, on that point, Monty Williams already talked to the media and I read a transcript of it and it's just like hilariously close to the vest. He's like, yeah, yeah we already put out a statement. I'm not going to have any more further comment. And you look at the statement, <laughs> the, the statement, statement was like 18 sentence. words. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was it was two sentences, but they were both short sentences. They could have used a semicolon and made it into one sentence, it's right? nuts. Yeah, so um, I think that where we should go next though is actually the Kawhi situation because there are impacts there with Phoenix, right? So let's say somehow the Clippers win this series, but Kawhi's not playing. I mean, that Western Conference Finals is a lot less interesting, sure. and you know Phoenix is a lot less you know tied to having Chris Paul healthy or whatever else if they have to go against the Clippers without um, Kawhi Leonard. At the same time. For Utah, they're getting the same momentum swing that Brooklyn just got potentially, right? Uh, because you're getting Clippers uh, with no Kawhi Leonard in Game Five, and that's an opportunity. Um, you know, they're going to play it tonight, but that's an opportunity to kind of get control of that series and uh, you know reestablish uh, dominance. But what I want to ask you: Did your mind go to the darkest possible uh, Clippers reality, like mine did today? Because you and I have said ever since 2019, look, that was a really big bet on Kawhi Leonard. I know you were warning people about just how big that could backfire, um, more so even than I was. Yeah, I generally, because of his body. Well, yeah, his body, but also just like, did they pick the right two guys? Do they complement each other? Where are they at age-wise? How expensive is it going to get to have these two players? I mean, there was various risks with Kawhi Leonard, and they mortgaged the whole future for him, right? Mm -hmm. If it is an ACL, that is like the worst-case scenario because – it takes it takes the Clippers right where the Warriors have been, where you know like Durant gets injured, and so then he's a free agent, he's out, and you know it's the same thing with like Clay Thompson, where like they give him that five year max contract, where they know the whole first year he's just not even going to be available, and you just have to do it because you know you don't have any other alternate ways to get uh, talent or to kind of retool. He's been your guy, so you're going to ride with him, but you're just you know taking on even more injury risk in that situation, and you've got to pay up. That's the situation here with Kawhi. Like he's an upcoming free agent. KD and Clay Thompson set the precedent here where you can get max money if you're this kind of a player, even if you're out for like an entire season. So let's say it is a, in a worst case scenario, an ACL that like knocked Kawhi out for all of next year, right? Sure. That season's a throwaway, right? I mean, they're not going to make wait, the playoffs. Wait, wait, wait. You don't believe in Paul George and Root Canal Reggie and Luke Kennard? Well, that's what I mean. That's the key difference between Golden State <laughs> and uh, the Clippers is that, you know, Steph Curry was trying to hold it down. That's a little different than Paul George trying to hold it down. And I also think that a lot of the players that they've collected, like the Rondos of the world and some of these other veterans, like if Kawhi is just not there, those guys aren't going to want to throw away a year of their life on the Clippers. You know what I mean? Like kind of the appeal of going to the Clippers and signing up with them is that Kawhi is going to put you in position to potentially compete for a championship, right? So I think not only could next year, if they don't have Kawhi, be a lottery trip where they have to hand over that lottery pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Because of that uh, the, the previous Paul George trade. But it could also get really oh, dicey boy. from a locker room perspective, right? Because a lot of those guys are going to want out. It's not necessarily a destination team anymore. Paul George is the face of the thing. You're trying to sell him as this main guy, and he's not going to have a lot of support. That could get really dark. And then the following year, Kawhi Leonard's going to come back 
he's going to be 31 at that point, which is, you know, right in the same timeline as a Kevin Durant. But the key difference there is Kawhi's got five or six years of pre-existing injuries before this one that Kevin Durant didn't really have. I mean, all KD had was that broken foot and he put that behind him no problem uh, before the Achilles, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in a situation here where like, you're going to have to pay Kawhi Leonard possibly a four-year max this summer. You're going to toss away the first year. You're going to try to bring him back that following year, the second year of his new contract where you've already got Paul George locked into max money. And you're going to have to probably completely overhaul your supporting cast with the possible exception of like Morris and Kennard because those guys are under huge long-term contracts and like good luck trading them. That is a really, really dark two to three year plan if if this news is as bad as it seems like it could be, right? So um, I don't know how you process all of that if you're a bomber. I mean, you're sitting there giddy in game four because Kawhi Leonard is dunking all over people, blocking shots, making his critics like yours truly look like an imbecile. Yeah. And then, you know, fluky play where he gets bumped by Joe Ingles and plants wrong. And now potentially the hundreds of millions of dollars that you've poured into this project are going to go kaput. And they can't even re- really rebuild, Andrew, because they've got this arena coming down the pipeline and they're going to have to like try to stay relevant however they can. So I think that will probably force their hand in, in terms of keeping Kawhi and, and paying him sort of like the Warriors paid Clay if it is a, a really bad injury situation. And that's a tough spot to be in. I mean, I was already kind of questioning, do you want to be tied to these guys for four more years, even when Kawhi was healthy? And now... If, if it is this worst case scenario, it's dark, man. I, I could get really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mind had not gone to that dark place, but you just took me there. So thank you for that. I think... Um, oh, let me also underscore. They owe the 2022 first, the 2024 first, and the 2026 first to OKC yeah. with pick swaps and the two years in between. Exactly. So I just looked only, it up. <laughs> their only path, yeah, their only path to getting young players or prospects is trading Paul George, right? They've got no other positive assets to go out there and you know, unless you want to trade Terrence Mann, maybe you can get something good for Terrence Mann. Like yeah, those are their cashable, so. <laughs> bankable assets, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's a positive asset based on his salary number right now and his production. Like he's not going to get you a ton, right? I tell but you like, what, Steve Ballmer, I will trade you Davis Bertans, a lightly used Davis Bertans in exchange for Terrence Mann. Let's make a deal. What do you think? I thought you were going to ask for Paul George in that deal. That's <laughs> <It's> funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but this is what I'm getting at. Like, a lot rides on that, whatever MRI or the imaging, whatever they're calling it. I mean, uh, this entire franchise is hanging no over the cliff right now. Yeah, no, it's really bad. Um, and it, it's definitely frustrating in the short term as well. I mean, the Western Conference Finals, if it had been Clippers' sons, would have been phenomenal. Like, that's a great matchup uh, between two very good teams. And Jazz and, Suns... And- Chris versus his old team, right? I, I mean, know. That's pretty interesting, too. It would too. have been so great. And uh, and Kawhi, a somber end to the Kawhi Wars. I was looking forward to see how round two resolved itself for him. But obviously, his long-term health is a much bigger question at this point. And yeah, I mean, I hadn't considered all the draft equity that's going out the door to Oklahoma City, as I imagine LA's future But man, oh man, (laughs) right there, unprotected 2022 pick. And 
I don't know. Like, I don't think that they're going to be terrible, but they really could be in the lottery. And even if you're in like the low end of the lottery, there's a decent chance after lottery reform a few years ago that that's like a top five pick going out the door to OKC. Well, let me ask you this. Look, think about the Warriors situation, right? Where Steph got injured and they're the worst team in the West, right? I mean, Paul George misses time. Paul George misses a month. Aren't they the worst team in the Western Conference next oh, year? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm giving them too much credit by saying they're not going to be terrible. They're going to be pretty bad if they could uh, be. Kawhi they could be play. really, they could be really, really bad. So let me put this to you because Golden State didn't even think twice about paying Clay, and they would have paid KD as well to take that first year, <laughs> like no production whatsoever. Yeah. In KD's case, it's because of the talent and because he didn't have that big of an extensive injury history. He was going to get a max from any team that he wanted, right? Clay gets the max in large part because of loyalty, in large part because of awesome fit with Steph, and because the idea you can sell these guys easily to your fan base is like trying to uh, resurrect uh, a title window as soon as Clay is back on the court when you make those financial decisions. With Kawhi, um, potentially you're looking at two straight second round exits, right? Uh-huh. You're looking at potentially throwing away all of that third year uh, because of injury. And you're looking at having him and Paul George together earning like $80 million a year uh, between the two of them for the next three or four years going forward, right? Yeah. Is there any part of you, if you were Balmer, who was like, look, I understand I've got more money than God, but this is too rich for my blood. No, no, no. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And I agree that it's not the craziest thing in the world. And you you raised this a couple weeks ago and I almost laughed you off the podcast. I was like, get the fuck, of course they're paying Kawhi Leonard. That's not a, that's just like not even like a fun take. Uh, But now given the injury, it is like sort of an interesting question. There are all sorts of political reasons why they will pay uh, Kawhi regardless of what happens to him. Um, but I think that there is merit to the idea that, you know, maybe you can spend that money more efficiently elsewhere. I wouldn't do it ultimately at the end of the day. Kawhi is one of the five or six best players in the league and there aren't other opportunities to get someone that talented. So I think the Clippers would pay him regardless. But um but that it's, could be dark too, right? Because like if he never gets back to that same height, right? If oh, he doesn't yeah. have this KD moment that KD's uh, living right now. And by the way, you know, we're hedging a lot on KD. We're not sure he's going to be able to maintain this going forward. And um, I mean, that's a really tricky spot to be in. And the problem is even if you did just let him walk and, and don't pay him, yeah, you don't have a bunch of salary cap flexibility to go out there and just get new players, right? You're not going to be just be able to go sign a new free agent because of Paul George's contract, Marcus Morris's contract, Rondo's on the books oh, for next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, um, right. They they just paid that huge deal to Kennard, so I do think they're going to wind up getting backed into, you know, paying Kawhi whatever he wants, whatever structure contract he wants, regardless of how long he's out. And that's tricky because, you know, then, you know, you're kind of already being held hostage by this guy, you know, to a certain degree. Uh-huh. And, you know, now you're just, uh, you know, you're left there praying, you know, hoping. Well, like, and he's also someone who's been very careful with his body and injuries in the past. So he's right. going to take his time as he recovers, um, which is fine. Listen, what I want from you, there's just enough legitimacy to this question I want you to pre-write a story 
to drop whenever the Clippers like announce the news and we have more clarity on what the future looks like for Kawhi. And I don't know if you saw this, but in the wake of game five of Nets Bucks, Reggie Miller tweeted out like, if you're Brooklyn, do you at least consider sitting KD and Harden for game six, a closeout game to go to the conference finals. It was a fun take from Reggie. Of course, he spent the next four hours getting roasted by the entire internet. And I would like to have you have that experience. So tweet out, like, are you sure Kawhi Leonard is worth a max deal? And just see what happens out there online. Yeah, I'll probably save myself that headache. I do have like a little breakdown of this, like kind of, this is why I've been, uh, you know, dwelling on this on this podcast because I've been thinking about it all day. I did write something up about like, what are their options? I think if it's a serious it's injury, they have no good options. I yeah. mean, they're, they're only really bad options. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's tricky. I definitely... I mean, as much as we had discussed, you know, Kawhi Leonard's got an extensive injury history. It's, you know, this kind of thing could always happen. Um, he had been healthy enough over the course of these last two years. The vibes, especially this season, internally from the Clippers about how they thought Kawhi's body was holding up and handling everything um, were really positive, right? I mean, oh, you're yeah. seeing the pop on some of the dunks this year that we really didn't even see during that 2019 title run from him, right? I mean, it was a little bit of a a throwback to the the Spurs days, um, you know, and some of the, just the forceful uh, poster dunks that we saw. And, you know, it's just gutting news for those guys, you know, all it's the way around. It's very frustrating, and, sure. But we're also, we're also racing to the worst case scenario. It's possible that like, hey, things come out okay. He just misses a week. And unfortunately, a week would probably end their season at this point. And uh, they go quietly and then, you know, things are okay. But, um you know, whenever people are starting to mention ACL early on the tweets, it gets you really, really nervous. At least it does for me. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed because the Clippers without Kawhi next season would be hands down the most depressing team in the league and one of the most depressing teams of my lifetime. So uh, let's do better than that, Clippers, um, and get well, well soon, Kawhi. That's a great point because I don't know necessarily if the Clippers fans have completely embraced Kawhi. It's funny, like there's kind of strange relationships between the Lakers and LeBron and the Clippers fans and Kawhi, if that makes sense, like, because they're not their guy, you know, they're sort of in this mercenary role later in their careers, but they're amazing players. So they get really excited. They, you know, rally around them, but there's not nearly as many Kawhi jerseys at Clippers games as you would think. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously I think he kind of keeps the public at bay to a degree. And that probably, you know, undercuts his popularity just, you know, with casual fans, at least to, to some degree. Right. Um, like, you're saying how depressing they would be. I'm just trying to picture like, what do the games look like? What do the crowds look like, right? <laughs> like if if you're having trouble like really capturing hearts and minds with Kawhi, I mean, all these playoff games, I'm going to them, Andrew, at Staples Center, and they literally have to explain to the fans how to cheer, right? Yeah. It's like, it's the fourth quarter, stand up. Here are some of the cheers that we're going to do. Like they have like the rally pep group coaching the fans into how to like, you know, pay attention and like, you know, cheer the guys on and support them. Without Kawhi, I'm picturing well, like 3,500 fans showing up and like most of them are just Paul George's direct relatives. I mean, look, a couple years ago, we were talking about the Clippers back when they had Lou Will and Montrez and were putting together that run to the eighth seed and you described it as good family fun and you were selling people on the Clippers experience. 
the oh, scenario yeah. chuck the condor chuck the condor <laughs> get your selfie with chuck the condor well and and this is uh a couple years down the road for that family uh the family made some bad bets in the stock market dad yeah. left and yeah it's parents really... definitely got divorced <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the kids had some tough times in high school and they're no longer on speaking terms it's not good not good at all so again we are all rooting for the clippers to avoid that scenario and now we're nearing the end here. So let's go lightning round. Oh, um, you read my mind. Let's do the guys who are out and just tell me thumbs up or thumbs down on it. Let's start with SVG, Stan Van Gundy in New Orleans. Right move, wrong move? What do you think? Um, I am going to say wrong move because David oh. Griffin is still employed and I would have fired Griffin before Van Gundy and there's only so much dead money that ownership group is going to eat. So I think by having to eat Stan Van's salary, that signals that David Griffin is safe for another few years down there. Yeah, I mean, the buzz is not good. Um, I mean, it's starting to trickle out in some of these reports now that Stan Van Gundy is gone. First of all, um, Brandon Ingram apparently really did not like Stan Van Gundy. That hmm. came out in a report today or just, you know, the, they, their communication was off. He wasn't used to kind of such a demanding and, demo, you know, kind of like forceful coach. Um, it seemed like maybe there was a generation gap between them as well. That explains a lot because, you know, I was just roasting <laughs> Brandon Ingram all year long for his effort level, especially on the defensive end and how just kind of tuned out he was in general. And it sounds like that was a real issue. So it's it's nice to see that confirm. The other thing that I heard, though, recently, Andrew, is that Zion's not super happy. And his exit interview, um, he, w- he made a comment along the lines of, you know, it's insanity to make the same mistakes over and over. Um, and, you know, he, he called it a disappointing season and basically was – I'm not sure if he was trying to directly apply pressure to make sure they can kind of become a playoff team, but he was just he he wasn't just saying, "Hey, it's all fun and games down here in Nola. I'm so glad to be in the market like that." You know, uh, honeymoon. I just landed number one pick in the city. Um, that era seems to be over. Yeah, and you know, with these rookie contracts, like he has to turn down an awful lot of money um, if he wants to, uh, you know, have any decision about where he gets to play, but. An unhappy Zion is a big, big problem for David Griffin. I don't understand it, man. A lot of people, uh, like people will quote Zion's stats and be like, it's embarrassing that that organization didn't put a winner around Zion down there. I don't see it that way. I think Zion's a more complicated player than that. And like, yes, he puts up numbers, but lots of people put up numbers. Jeremy Grant puts up numbers. I don't necessarily look at him as like, a LeBron, Anthony Davis type player where they could start calling the shots. The front office should be feeling the heat right now. I think that's actually one of the mistakes they've made is they looked at him in that mold and have made moves to try to like raise the floor uh, while sort of ignoring what the ceiling would look like uh, given some of those decisions and also overestimating what the floor actually is when you bring in Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and whatever. Just a lot of really awful decisions down there. Um, And if Zion's feeling uh, like restless or whatever, I wouldn't overreact to that if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, Um, but maybe they will. I mean, you're right that he's, he traditionally like that, that organization reacts to his every whim. And that will probably be true this off season. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I like your point here of like, you know, is is he good enough to be able to have um, this level of sway and leverage? And I think it's a commentary on that franchise and that market a little yeah. bit as well. If Zion's in just league average market, league average franchise, he probably doesn't have that same level of sway. But, you know, you're talking about market size, you're talking about like proven track record of success and everything else. Like the Pelicans are pretty low on that rankings. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, it's almost like the Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota situation, right? Where it's like they're so tied to him uh, and they have been for like the last four or five years because he's so clearly the best and they've got going that like, you know, it winds up maybe getting into an unhealthy territory because like life would be just so much worse without them, right? Um, tough spot uh, for that organization to manage it. And uh, you know, you've been a very vocal critic of uh, David Griffin, and there are a lot of people hopping to uh, sing backup for you. I'm seeing that chorus grow. <laughs> Finally, welcome to my bandwagon. All right, so well, real quick though, last point on the Pelicans, which I loved. Um, apparently another breaking point for Stan Van Gundy was the relationship with Eric Bledsoe because they were supposed to foul while up three late in a game against the Knicks. Mm -hmm. Um, Bledsoe didn't, it led to a game tying three. I think they lost the game after, you know, kind of in the aftermath of it. Horrible loss. I watched the entire game. Yeah. So apparently they asked Bledsoe what happened afterwards and he just admitted like, yeah, sorry, I just wasn't even paying attention. Like that was his quote, Um, you know, (laughs) essentially like, sorry, I just tuned the coach out. And meanwhile, Van Gundy's like postgame quote said that even a high school team could execute um, in in a manner that Bledsoe didn't. I mean, that should have been a much bigger red flag. I don't remember that game. I don't remember those quotes, but that is like, uh, you know, I mean, it was hilarious. Yeah. My yeah. reaction when he had that quote was, whoa, this is not how coaches talk about their players these days. Um, not in 2021. I mean, like he used to do that with Reggie Jackson like four or five, six years ago, and it was awkward then, but that's definitely not how it plays now. Yeah. And you could tell he just didn't have them. So I actually think it was the right move. You know, it's better to get out of in front of it than let that poisoned relationship, you know, tear you down completely. But well, a lot of pressure Stan on Van Griffin. Gundy will be happier elsewhere. I, I do Correct. like Stan Van Gundy. I've always liked him. And he was just going to be the punching bag down there for years to come because of decisions that someone else made because that roster is still screwed up and and like there are just a lot of questions that are not suddenly going to be answered because they have a different coach down there. Um, And I think Stan Van Gundy can continue to get paid, maybe start a podcast or something, hit up TNT. They need a commentator. Uh, There are a lot of fun avenues for Stan Van Gundy that will be better than coaching the Pelicans for the next few years. Yeah, and this actually made me respect Thibodeau even more, right? Because like Stan Van Gundy's whole thing was like, I'm going to coach him up on defense. We're going to have this great defensive identity. We're going to have Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and all these defense first players. And, you know, I'm going to be the guy who motivates them and takes them to a new level that Alvin Gentry couldn't. And he just was not able to do that whatsoever, right? And, you know, there's all these excuses at the end of the year for New Orleans of like, oh, we had no practice time, no training camp, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, I mean, look what Thibodeau did. Like, I was the exact same <laughs> blueprint for the Knicks. And like, I mean, he made it happen. So, you know, even though I don't, I would not have picked him for coach of the year, um, like, you know, the the casual observers like you did, because you got all, you know, caught up with that big, uh, big apple lifestyle, Yep. which I understand is intoxicating. You know, I actually had a lunch three tables away from Chris Rock, Andrew. I mean, that was wow. pretty impressive All right. when I was in New Benny York City. Benny from the block was <laughs> loving it, man. I got to say, oh. um, 
But yeah, like, you know, you get the glittery eyes for Tom Thibodeau. But in this case, like, it's a pretty clear contrast, like which coach actually can communicate in 2021 with players and get through to them and ride them and have it work and which one can't. Uh, Very obvious. Now, in your neck of the woods, Scott Brooks, uh, I guess the official story was could not agree to a new contract, which probably means, um, you know, Wizards ownership wasn't trying to pay that big kind of money that they paid him five years ago to go there. (laughs) Probably looking for either, you know, a a big discount or maybe just a a younger, fresher voice um, in that spot. Was it warranted? I mean, there was a lot of like, you know, valiant fake hustle points for the Wizards sneaking into the playoffs to that playing round before they got, you know, summarily destroyed by the Sixers. Mm. Um, are you sad to see? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you sad to see Scott Brooks go or did you see this one coming? Uh, Scott Brooks is a really good guy. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to him at various points over the years. I'm not sad to see him go. I did see this coming in large part because knowing the team pretty well, I did not think that they were going to be willing to pay $7 million a year, which is what Scott Brooks has been making over the last five years. Um, Basically, Steve Kerr, like Eric Spolster money to Scott Brooks. I didn't think they were going to come anywhere near that number on a a new deal for Scott Brooks. And um, I thought that alone guaranteed that they were going to go into a different direction. And that's healthy for the team. I am currently way too frustrated that the Wizards are just completely uninvolved in the lottery next week. And it's just, it's very difficult to accept. It may take me years to accept that they won like 15 games at the end of the season to make a doomed run to the eighth seed and get gentlemen swept out of the first round by a Sixers team that isn't even that good. And like we had to pretend to like Russell Westbrook for two months there. Bradley Beal is now on the All-NBA team. Obviously, that should be Devin Booker's spot. Obviously, I'm a Phoenix Suns fan now. Um, So there's like a lot of angst I have pent up with the Wizards. Uh, Talking any further about Scott Brooks may take this into a dark direction. I don't think we need a sequel to the Clippers segment. Um, But yeah, Wes Unsell Jr. rumored as as a potential replacement. He sounds great. Um, A whole new era in D.C., I guess. Yeah, like you, I saw this one coming, um, and it was always pretty awkward to do local radio in D.C. and not just be like, isn't this already done? Wasn't this (laughs) done before the season started? um, No, because I just thought the comps were uh, Mike D'Antoni in Houston and Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City. Both those guys had big contracts. Both those ownership groups, it seemed like because of the pandemic, were either looking to tighten up or just looking to go to a little bit of a different direction. Um, Scott Brooks was also in that same camp, you know, like you said, big dollar. And that's just a really easy way for organization to save a lot of money. I mean, you think about a five year, seven million a year, that's 35 million, right? If you pay a new coach a four year contract and start him at two, that's eight. I mean, you just saved yourself. <laughs> Uh, you just saved yourself like two starters. And you, know what I mean? you didn't pay $35 million to get 35 wins or maybe 40, maybe 42, 43. But like, I, you don't need to pay a premium if your like, absolute best case scenario is seventh place in the Eastern Conference. So um, I think it was sensible on the Wizards' part. And they're just, there are bigger changes that need to happen for that team. And I wish that the goal 
were more ambitious than like making the first round of the playoffs. And I think that they will get there sometime soon. But for now, uh, I'm just going to be really pissed off that there's, there's no shot at Evan Mobley next week. Final yeah. item. Well, yeah, final item. And then there is one more thing I want to read to you and just get your real take reaction right at the end of the podcast to go on a strong note. But the power struggle in Dallas, right? Um, Donnie Nelson out. Uh, it's, you know, is, are we calling him the source for the athletic story and it blew up in his face? <laughs> or how are you reading it? Haralabob emerges victorious. And let me tell you, after we finished recording the other night, I was thinking about Haralabob and his sideline laptop. Like, what could he possibly be looking at as he's sitting there in his courtside seat with his laptop? Like, what program is he running that is, like, so essential that he can't put away his laptop and just watch the game? Um, I mean, it could be a lot of things. I mean, he could just be charting, you know, like from a scouting perspective, that's pretty common. Like what players are we running? Who's on the court? He could be tracking substitution patterns. He could be looking up like real time information about, okay, this five is on the court together. What do we expect? Um, he could just be trading cryptocurrency. I think that's Uh, what he was doing and more power to him. I mean, that's part of his brand as well. Uh, did you see he changed his Twitter bio to head collector after the Donnie Nelson news on Wednesday. Look, for Donnie Nelson, he doesn't need that, right? He could be uh, an executive of a lot of NBA teams. I think he's got a long track record. Yeah, I think so. Long track record, built a championship team, made a lot of good moves over the years. The last couple of years have been pretty rough. I also, like I said previously, I think Cuban calls the shots there, right? I mean, Let's not forget there's videos of Cuban with free agents like, you know, uh, July 1, 12.06 a.m. just like slamming jello shots and trying to get deals done yep. like at the break of free agency, right? So like he's ultimately the guy who is, um, <laughs> uh, you know, who, who's kind of calling all of these shots. And that, it's you know, such C- a Cuban was <laughs> And Cuban was also really kind of erratic this week. I did not like his comments and his responses trying to Ridiculous. deny everything about this yeah. story. And then 24 hours later, Donnie Nelson's gone so i think kudos to the athletic writers for standing tall with their story and you know eventually being proven right i mean to me it just kind of felt like the anti-haralabob stuff clearly came from you know either donnie nelson or people who were feeling like you know that this thing could blow up and maybe wanting to defend their boss or defending their guy and usually when it comes to that point it's a desperation situation anyways and so maybe that was uh you know kind of a uh, a hail mary that just you know didn't work out but it does seem like if, you know, there's this level of resentment uh, going back and forth, change was right for everybody and uh, he'll probably be better off going somewhere else. Maybe he won't be a president. Maybe he won't be the GM. Maybe he's just going to be a consultant or some sort of a role like that. But I have it hard to, I find it hard to believe Donnie Nelson won't immediately be in the NBA whenever he wants to be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I like Donnie Nelson a lot. Amazing storyteller, really good guy, and has lived through all kinds of different basketball history. He's not someone I would want running my basketball team. So in that respect, I think the Mavs move is healthy. Uh, but your point- Wait, 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 wait. If you could trade Donnie Nelson for Tommy Shepard right now, you would not do that? No, because I think it's like trading like for like. I I don't know if I want Tommy Shepard, but Tommy Shepard's also a really good guy who's someone I I respect a lot. Um, but I just think like the skill set. 
that those guys have is not necessarily what is required to like really excel in that job today. And so I, I put Donnie Nelson in the same category as Shepard, uh, Ernie Grunfeld. Um, you Mitch want a Palinka Kupchak. type. You want a Palinka type who's just rubbing elbows with Rich Paul and master planning with the players. Kind of a super team. Yeah. yeah, a little, a little bit of that. And I, I say that with no joy because, frankly, as humans, I definitely prefer Tommy Shepard and Donnie Nelson. Um, but beyond that, what I would say is that um, I enjoyed your Cuban analysis there. What you said is that Cuban calls the shots. What I heard is that Cuban calls the shots and that is Dallas's biggest problem. And then you cite him taking jello shots with Chandler Parsons at the like 12.05 of free agency and... Um, that is a great example. I remember he like weirdly became best friends with Chandler Parsons for a few years there and sunk a lot of Mavs money into old uh, Chandler. So And it was like a long-term play for DeAndre Jordan too, wasn't it? Like that was also part of the deal. It was yeah. going to be a package because they were best buddies. Didn't quite work out. Um, I, I think that's a really attractive GM job though. And uh, Can I say I, one it, other thing actually? So yeah. it is an attractive GM job. But Luca, there have been a number of reactions where, from first of all, there were reports that Luca was really unhappy that Donnie Nelson was pushed out, and then there are a bunch of reports in the wake of that initial report saying, "No, Luca's definitely going to sign the extension." And then a lot of people sort of like saying, "Of course, Luca's going to sign the extension. It's two hundred million dollars. He's not walking away from that. Like this is a done deal." Blah 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 blah. Luca's not definitely going to sign that extension. I'm going to exclusively report that here on the GOAT. The door is open for him to leave. And you know why? Because he clearly should leave. The Mavs' future over the next couple of years is really dicey. I wouldn't entrust my career to Mark Cuban. I wouldn't entrust my career to Haralabob, a.k.a. the head collector, it just seems like a bad situation down there. And so if Luca has smart people around him, and he does, he's going to at least think about it, and he should. What do you think? No, I mean, you've been ramping this up week by week by week by week, and I pretty much disagree with you every single time. I just don't <laughs> see it as being that dire. Luca's awesome. I think he's going to sign the contract. He just needs to get the jersey number seven. That will set everything right in Dallas. Make a good GM hire, you know, throw a bunch of money at this Mark Cuban, get somebody awesome, and I think it's going to feel more stable and a little bit brighter than you're uh, making Maybe. it out to be. You know, it, it definitely will be. Right now, it's and here's really dark. Here's part of why. Because what we're seeing with all these injuries going on, it's like the very, very best players are ultimately really what matter, right? Like, you know, like the Clippers, we're pretty much going to write them off because Kawhi Leonard's out, right? The Nets, um, you know, as soon as they lose uh, Kyrie and James Harden, they look completely different, right? I mean, go uh, LeBron and AD, when they're injured, Lakers completely fall to pieces, right? If you have that amazing asset in Luka, all you've got to do is like just average, right? And I think we could say over the last couple of years, Dallas's front office performed well below average. If they just do average, they're going to be in a situation where a lot of good things can happen based solely on Luka. And um, I don't really just believe some of these reports coming out of like, oh, he's so unhappy. He's going to try to hold these guys hostage. I want to, you know, I need to see that before I believe it. And okay. I do think that guys, when they get drafted, 
there's a loyalty to the person who um, believed in you. We saw that with Giannis and Jason Kidd. God, remember that? How far he was bending over backwards to make sure everybody knows he liked Jason Kidd. Um, I don't think that the pity party on, from Luca on behalf of Donnie Nelson's exit lasts more than 72 hours. I think well, he's no, going to be able to move on clear. just fine from that one. It's going to be okay. He's not going to consider walking away from $200 million because of Donnie Nelson. But I would at least think about it because of all the other stuff that we have mentioned in our Mavericks discussions over the past few weeks. But look, Luca's not a member of Team Sharp. So a year ago, I was saying to Giannis, look, you should really think about Madison Square Garden. You should really think about the Phoenix Suns. He didn't take my advice, but I was giving him advice. Luca, do what you want. Hitch your wagon to Mark Cuban and Haralabob. I do not care. Let's end it there. You said you had one more surprise news item for me before we close it out. So hit me. If I was Luca, my demands list would be hire Sam Presti at any cost. Get me jersey number seven. That's it. That would be my <laughs> list. Um, get Dwight Powell out of here. Have Abraham Lincoln get him out of the paint. All right, here it is. I don't know if you saw this or not. You probably did because it went insanely viral. LeBron James weighed in on Twitter about the NBA's uh, health situation with so many stars going out and going down kind of almost on a nightly basis here during the playoffs. And these tweets to me seemed almost constructed to enrage you um, from LeBron. <laughs> so I'm going to read them straight through. Oh, I'm going to read no, them straight don't, through. Don't. And then I, I just, you know, I think that you need to do Andrew Sharp re- no, reports no, 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 in, in reply. Okay. okay. Here it comes. At King James. <clears throat> Quote, they all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. I knew exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well-being of the players, which ultimately is the product and benefit of our game. These injuries aren't just part of the game. It's the lack of pure rest before starting back up. Eight, possibly nine, all-stars have missed playoff games the most in league history. This is the best time of the year for our league and fans, but missing a ton of our favorite players. It's insane. If there's one person that knows about the body and how it works all year round, it's me. I speak for the health of all of our players, and I hate to see this many injuries. Oh this my time of the year. Sorry, fans. Wish you guys were seeing all your favorite guys right now. Prayer hands, crown emoji. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't like that. I And clearly, <laughs> I, I saw news. a couple tweets. I don't follow LeBron, and so I, I missed some of the more ridiculous things he said at the end of the line there. Um Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I think people underestimate how annoyed everyone is by LeBron. And they underestimate it because there are certain people in the media who like after the decision and the cycle that we all live through are just never really going to criticize LeBron again. And that's fine. And there are valid reasons for that maybe. But like how normal people react to this guy is like a lot of eye rolling. And I don't say that as a hater. I say that as someone who has a lot of friends and they're not all mouth breathers who are like 
burning LeBron's jersey 10 years ago or whatever. There's just a lot of people who are like, man, this guy, just please relax. Like, there's a lot of what he said in that little tweet thread that is frustrating me, frustrating to me for different reasons because I just think like it ultimately basketball is a partnership between the players and the owners and the players bought in to try to make this work and they didn't want to sacrifice salary. And I understand why they they didn't want to sacrifice salary. And like everyone in basketball has just been trying to like band together to make this work together. And obviously it, it, it hasn't been perfect. But so for LeBron as the most famous person in the sport to jump out there and just look for like a little Twitter clout and, and fan the flames of the angst as all these other guys are getting injured. Um, it's not my favorite move from him. It doesn't surprise me in the least. And again, I don't say this is someone who hates LeBron. Just sit, sitting here objectively, I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I, I wish you hadn't tweeted that, I guess. I thought I was going to be able to send you over the top. I, I was remarkably composed by you. I'm actually getting I'm very, very impressed. I do think you might be maturing before my eyes, honestly. I thought you were going to lose it. Um, uh -huh. I was also frustrated by this commentary. I think that there were really extended debates about exactly how to do this season. I don't remember LeBron coming forward at any point during that to raise these kinds of um, you know issues, right? And there was clearly a back and forth. Sources communicated this, that, and the other thing. We knew the Lakers were upset about how quick and short their turnaround time was. Yeah, and he, uh, and he did raise it a little bit. But my point when people were, were getting frustrated was to say, look, I, if you want to start six weeks later, that's fine. But are you willing to lop off another 15 to 20% of the salary that's getting given back? And if you're not, I right. understand, but like that's uh, that's a, that puts the league and the owners and the networks. Every, everybody is in a tough spot if those are the terms that are being imposed on the rest of the parties there. I'm just saying the story has slightly shifted because I remember in December it was, this is unfair to the teams that were in the bubble. You're putting us at risk and you're putting us at a competitive disadvantage. Now the story is my heart bleeds for all of my fellow stars and for the fans who don't get to watch their favorite players during the playoffs. Can you sense a little bit of a different tone there, Andrew? Oh, yeah. It's... And then the other thing that I didn't like was this idea, the self-appointed number one physiologist in the NBA. That's like, I... unbelievable. I speak on behalf of... Of all athletes, uh, remarkable stuff from the if king. If <laughs> anyone knows the body, it's me, exclamation point. It's wild. It's uh, wild. And so, I mean, honestly, that when I was reading that, I wondered, it just made me kind of question, like, is this really how he feels or was he just trying as hard as he possibly could to make a point and to kind of shove it back in people's faces? Almost like a revenge thing, right? Of like, I look, guess. you guys didn't do it my way, so I'm going to try to like score points when I can. And I don't think that's helpful or productive if that's the way you're going to handle it, right? Like, I think you can make that exact point this summer when you're laying out next season or you're discussing things like a midseason tournament or the play-in tournament or all these other um, things that the NBA did try to add for revenue, which obviously upset some players. You could also raise this point when you're talking about things like load management and say, hey, 
We understand in a normal year, load management is bad for the product, but we've got to manage our bodies a little bit more. So, you know, if, if we determine if me, the number one physiologist in America for sports <laughs> determines that I need to take 10 games off during the regular season because of how we're setting the schedule up, don't fine us. Don't, you know, like give us an out here. Let's try to compromise so that we can protect these players a little bit better. I just think there was other more productive ways to approach this particular debate then, I mean, this was torching the bridge, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, and again, I look at all of these guys as stakeholders in the same enterprise. And so for LeBron as the most prominent stakeholder among the players to just come out here and publicly, I, I none of this was ever going to accomplish anything. That's what made it so stupid. It's just like, all right, cool. So you're going to have more dumb people arguing that they shouldn't have played the season this way as a result of LeBron's comments. And then you're going to have other people having to respond to LeBron's comments and explain why, you know, like ultimately this made the most sense. And particularly among the 80% of players who are not making $10 million or more per year. Correct. Like they didn't want to give back an extra 20% of their salary. And so I guarantee you a lot of players are not going to do what LeBron did and take to Twitter and complain about this. But I'm sure there's plenty of grumbling behind the scenes about the way he handled it. And look, I, I hate to say it, but like none of this is new for LeBron. He just, it, this, this is sort of like uh one of his blind spots, I guess, is sometimes he just can't help himself. Yeah, well, he likes things his way. And on this one, he very clearly did not get things his way. And um, again, I think this is going to make a, a tough Who situation knows, though? He did that this much with worse. the All-Star game. And in like a month before he came out and complained about the All-Star game, he apparently signed off on it. So I don't even know like what signals he was send- sending. And if you if we go back to like, November or October when these decisions were being made, if LeBron had been like vehemently against it, I wonder whether that would have changed the equation because my sense is that there are enough people in the league office who respect him that like maybe it would have. Yeah, I'm not sure it would have because I mean, remember our, our playing guy who I interviewed was like pretty quick to 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 snap back at LeBron over the the wisdom of the playing game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so I I do think that they can draw some level of boundaries. It's not just the uh, the LeBron Basketball Association, right? Like, I do think that there's a little bit of separation there, but it's pretty wild. And um, well, look, you know, just in our day of crazy NBA news, it wouldn't have felt right if LeBron were not involved. And so I'm glad that we could cap our emergency episode, which you and I planned to be, I personally said I can do 35 or 40 minutes. We're now an hour and a half in. So I, I plan for 90 like I always do because I, I always I always give the best to the goats because Andrew, they're the kind of people who they are going to pick it. you up. They're going to give you a ride from Chicago to Milwaukee if you need it. And that's why we love the goats. That's very All true. All right, Andrew, I know you've got to go and collect some heads probably. Uh, so good luck with that. <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. You can email us, guys, greatestofalltalk at gmail.com, greatestofalltalk at gmail.com. We'll be back at some point. Obviously, we're neck deep in this Bucks net series, um, which is probably going to take a few more twists and turns before the next time that we talk. Um, so, you know, make sure you're tuning in, make sure you're watching this incredible action and, uh, we'll get back at you probably next week. All right, Andrew, until then I will talk to you. Take it easy, man. Mm